What does it mean to be human? At what point do we separate ourselves from the technology that binds us and the systems of control that subvert our very humanity? Yet another TV show adaptation of a video game done incredibly well that asks meaningful questions about the human condition. But how did they nail this setting so well? Buckle up, tubes. We're going to talk edge runners. Welcome to the Worldcraft Club a show about developing wondrous fictional settings that will draw your audience back time and time again. I'm James, your host, and today's episode is a little weird. You see, we at the Worldcraft Club are exactly what we say on the tin. We're a club. There are lots of us back here on the Worldbuilding Discord, and those folks have ideas and obsessions. One of those obsessions was Cyberpunk Edgerunners, the groundbreaking show that released on Netflix earlier this year, and many of us were already playing Cyberpunk 2077, so we just kind of got lost in the show. There were spoiler-leaden rants aplenty. So I got a select group from our Discord to join me in a panel discussion with these three questions. What is it that draws us into the Cyberpunk setting? Where did Edgerunners knock it out of the park? And where might we improve upon it? The goal here is to critically analyze this amazing show and take key lessons back to our own work, whether you're writing a novel or running your next killer TTRPG campaign. We want you to walk away from this a more confident and capable world builder. Understand that this is a very trimmed down version. The conversation itself was an hour and a half long, but I wanted to keep this show brief, so I was selective about the snippets I chose, and I've tried to weave it together with some of my own interjections. If you want to have conversations like this, jump on our Discord server using the link in the show notes. And as always, if this show has been useful to you, give us a glowing five-star review on your favorite podcatching app. This really helps us out. And if we don't quite merit the five stars, send us an email with your thoughts on how we can improve or hit us up on any given social media platform. Again, linked in the show notes. Oh, and uh, one more thing. Major spoilers. Like, major spoilers for Cyberpunk Edgerunners coming. So if you haven't seen the show yet, pause us. Go watch it. It's worth your time, and we'll be right here when you get back. So let's begin with a roundup of our panelists. AJ, server member at large, AMV creator, and general lover of cyberpunk as a setting. Marcus, a longtime friend and partner of the show. You'll recognize him from earlier episodes of the pod. Rach, a member at large who is currently studying theater and imbibes media through that lens. Steph, our server mod who cannot be fired by night and scientist by day. All four of these folks offer a unique take on the setting and the show. So let's start here. What is it that makes cyberpunk cyber? The essence of the genre. Sure, we know the neon color schemes, the general disrespect for authority, the kitsch fashion style, mohawks, implants. But let's dive a little deeper. Marcus brought this observation. What I think makes cyberpunk unique we can find in its name cyberpunk and i know particularly the cyber part of it which deals with cybernetics and i know a lot of people think cybernetics as in those cool implants that you know cyberpunk protagonists have that's not actually its origin i think cyberpunk is unique in the way that it expresses a dystopia to the audience because cybernetics is actually the study of control and governance particularly automatic control without authoritarian power 
or higher management. Okay, I'm going to shout out to Greg from the YouTube channel, How to Drink, for opening my eyes to this. You know, I watched a video of him making a David Martinez from, from the Edge Runner show. And he dropped this on me at the end. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what, this is what I was looking for. Cyber is actually comes from the Greek word kyber, which is a ship's rudder, basically. So cybernetics roughly translates to helmsman. And basically cybernetics deals with mechanisms that have a feedback loop, something that analyzes something and then also then has the power to change what it analyzes. So like the helmsman, it can see the ship's course. And if it needs to adjust the ship's course, the helmsman can move the rudder and then adjust the ship's course and then analyze where it's going again. The modern day version of this that we see every day is the thermostat. It can analyze a temperature and then automatically adjust the temperature depending on what system that it has put on. So basically, the professors and scientists that were dealing in cybernetics throughout the time basically got to the point and they were like, okay, guys, we made all these models of different cybernetic systems and cybernetic systems on top of systems. And we've got super complex analog cybernetic systems and we got super complex models in digital that mimic life. And we're telling everybody, yo, We've gotten to the point where anything you can think of, any experience, any feeling, we can make a model of. Therefore, we ourselves are just a complex system of cybernetic feedback loops that interact with each other. And if you zoom in and know what all of them do, then an outside force can then go and manipulate what they are analyzing and thus create the right levers it can create the right situation that it wants and the system has no choice in the matter therefore there is no self so cyberpunk in itself using the root words has more to do with systems of control than it does necessarily the implants that we associate with it suddenly the punk elements make more sense the punks are the ones who are subverting those systems of control ones who are living a life that they choose even if that life is messy, short, or complicated. Now Rach, followed by AJ, round this point off with another couple of key observations about cyberpunk in terms of accessibility when compared to, say, other high fantasy genres. The cyberpunk setting is inherently non-magical. And so the setting is expressed through how technology and our intellect has advanced so much that we can have all these fantastic things. We can have all of these body modifications, transhumanism, etc. But we don't have magic. My friend the other day asked me if Arcane was cyberpunk, and I told him, I don't think so, because first off, the technology and mechanisms are more closer to a steampunk setting it's not steampunk but the way that technology works in that world is closer to that and it also has magic while well, cyberpunk all the holograms etc aren't something that are manufactured from like innate ability or some kind of unexplainable or somewhat explainable phenomenon 
it's all stuff that we as humans have created and crafted and brought to life. It's not something that happens in nature. Also, in the greater media and the way that trends work, we have been seeing in fashion and in technology and in like other forms of art that we are having a similar look to the future the way that the 60s did. There is a certain branch of media and consumerism that is that has a very 60s kind of futuristic optimism. There's another branch that is looking towards the future of a dystopian kind of world and trying to focus on sustainability or what will happen when sustainability fails, like we aren't able to be sustainable anymore. And always thinking like, if we don't explore, you know, the deep sea, everything else on our planet has been, the idea of a frontier is on earth is kind of non-existent. Space really is the final frontier. It's the one place where the unknown is. And so with cyberpunk and specifically edge runners, I think that the focus not only of looking towards or how the moon in space is still a a dream to people, I think is incredible because that's something that's been with culture for forever, but also just like seeing how much that the earth has been manufactured and processed with like the cyberpunk setting with all the neon lights and everything. The reason why this setting is so fascinating and different from what's going on in most of the the geek genres these days. I, I feel like we've kind of grown past those fantasy and medieval settings. I feel like we're we're changing as as a geek genre in and of ourselves. We see what's going on in the world and cyberpunk is kind of a reflection of that or at least of the extremes of that. And so uh, moving on from the you know fantastical medieval setting is kind of us being like look this is what the world actually is and this is what our world might become if we don't change things and it's it's got those same struggles that we have in D&D and Game of Thrones and everything like that but it's it's still different because it's so so much closer to us it's it's examining spirituality it's examining what it is to to be yourself which are all aspects that are really have a lot of focus these days so that's why now is why this genre is kind of picking up a following i think this observation is key about the cyberpunk setting especially as it manifests in edge runners there's a manufactured world a built human space that will feel very familiar to us in our modern western settings We're surrounded by stuff that is made. This genre offers a dystopian and pessimistic look at a future where so much is consumed, but very little is valued. Rach was circling to a point about the moon. In Edgerunners, Lucy has a fantasy of leaving Earth and going to the moon, which in the cyberpunk setting is a little bit of a kitschy tourist attraction, but she has a romanticism about it. It's her fondest wish, to get away. 
People have always had a fascination with the moon or attribute it with mystical powers. This is what I love about cyberpunk. There's a closeness to it and accessibility compared to our current experience with technology, but there's also a very earthy connection to our humanity, a sense of our ancient selves, a mysticism and the human condition. I think this might be a good general question to ask yourself as you develop your settings, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. What does my setting say about me, or better yet, us as humans? I think that provides a great overview of the why cyberpunk question. What it is that draws us all into the genre, what makes it so appealing, and why right now? Next up, we wanted to talk about what stood out to us. What follows here are some snippets of our conversation from Marcus, AJ, Steph, and Rach, the whole panel, discussing elements of the show that really drew them in. I, honestly, whenever I think of cyberpunk every, coming from the game, or especially the show, what stuck with me is the language, particularly the slang. I always think that's an interesting way to world build because it also reflects society edge runners and cyberpunk as a whole nailed it because in other sci-fi usually the special words or the new words really just replace curse words one yeah frack frail stacco you know and that's the way for them to get colorful language in a lower you know tv rating but even though that's not really realistic because usually curse words, cursing doesn't really change over generations very much. But what they nailed was that the words were not 100% made up. They are existing words. So it feels even more natural on top of just the delivery, the confidence. They didn't go by giving you a lesson of, or, or make David completely ignorant of like, Choom, what's that? He knew all this stuff and he used this language and, you know, he, he uses it. But like Choom is, you know, a root word off of Chumbata, which is like a brother or comrade in a different language. Uh, to call something, you, you know, fancy preem, which is just short for premium, if you're going to flatline somebody or get somebody zeroed, you can kind of get what they mean because they're natural words that language not only just kind of flavors the world but then it gets reflected back onto the world to flatline somebody uh and the afterlife the the logo to the afterlife the a is a a heart monitor but it's the last monitor and then it flatlines underlining her life you know that that's what really stuck with me and I just like I just like how Chum sounds, you know. It's like Chum, but a little more like warmer. I don't know. It's, I I I dig it. You know, I kind of want to just call everybody my Chum. <laughs> you know, um, this and continue on with their conversation, but they'll double up on words half the time. And Steph, yeah, Steph asked that at the almost the end. I think it was the one of the last episodes. She's like, "Why does it do that?" And I was like, I don't know exactly because they don't do it in the game. But my guess would be, uh, and and this is a really cool like world building idea that I'm, I'm guessing is was their idea is that their implants in your head taking your thoughts. You notice they don't talk when they're talking on the phone. They think and it sends. 
because of that, the, the way you think when I pause here and I'm like trying to gather my thoughts, my thoughts are going a mile a minute and you're making mistakes as you go along before they come out of your mouth. Those mistakes are picked up just just a little bit as you're trying to send those messages to people to talk on the phone because you don't have the, that time to pause. It's in your head. It hears your thoughts. So it's it's really dangerous because there's got to be some some disconnect to it. Obviously, like you could be thinking like, you know, uh, this Arasaka guy is totally going to double cross me. Yeah, yeah, we'll be there for the job. No worries. <laughs> so it's got to have some sort of disconnect with your thoughts. But I don't think it fully works that way. I think it still sees those those hitches in your thought process. Cyber psychosis was really fascinating to me as a concept. They did a really awesome job demonstrating it at various stages, right? Like you see the cyber psycho that ISIS Rebecca's brother really early on. He's so far gone. He doesn't even think he just, he just murder someone, right? Like he's gone. Um, and that's like your kind of first introduction besides the, the guy that just is slaughtering a whole bunch of dudes with a sand vest in the beginning. But Maine's slow descent into cyber psychosis was so powerful, right? Just watching him being in complete denial that anything was wrong, his absolute confidence that he was going to be different somehow and that he was going to get over it and it, it was just like crushing for them to just kind of kind of sit by helpless right it makes sense right when we think about regular organs that you have transplanted right that's a risk that's a problem your body is defensive it protects itself it recognizes when something doesn't belong there um, so the fact that with, with cybernetics, it's your brain that can't cope with the fact that so many parts of your body aren't what they're supposed to be. That's, that's really fascinating. Similarly, how they're just so cavalier about death. Like, they just know they're going to die, right? Like, they go into edge running, they're like... I'm I'm here for a good time, not a long time, right? Maine Maine specifically is like, yeah, you can have my arms when you die. He just like totally casual about that, right? He he knows it's an eventuality, and he doesn't mind even hesitating to be like, yep, they're yours when I die. You can have them, and uh, it's 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 really sad, right? That they see themselves as essentially disposable because of the lives that they lead and, and, and how they live. There's so many small pieces too, to the soul crushing dystopia that are just really fascinating. Right. When David can't visit his mom in the hospital, cause he doesn't have the visitation package on his health insurance, his mom going from, yeah, she'll probably pull through to like, Nope, she's gone. Essentially just, just like the devil's in the details. Right. And, and there's so many, small moments in in edge runners that like kind of drive home the the absolute sadness that exists in this world yeah a lot of depravity <laughs> another part to like the insignificance of david's death is like the last part of the hero's journey is the return and for normal stories or normal like non-tragic stories um like let's say legend of zelda was link there's funny memes about how link he'll just wake up oh no he has to go get the princess and he'll go to bed and then every time that he goes through that cycle 
he goes to bed more suspicious about what's going to happen. He's more afraid about, not even afraid, just suspicious about waking up because he's going to have to go through this whole cycle all over again. But with the return for Edrunners, it's less about David and more about the Sandivistan, I think, in my opinion, because you start with David watching the Sandivistan being used on someone with cyberpsychosis, and you end with him with the same Sandivistan going through cyberpsychosis, and it's probably televised too or recorded, which sucks because we grow to love David in comparison to what I consider the transformation part after the death rebirth section of the failure with Main and Dopio. The episode right after, you go straight into a new job. There's this new kid that you're like, oh, maybe it's David 2.0. Instant death. <laughs> and that's truly, in my opinion, an insignificant death, but it sucks. And it's tragic that David at the end just gets simmered down to just a person who went through cyberpsychosis with the same Sandivistan that we started the show with. All of these observations tie into a bold presentation of a dystopian setting. The insignificance of the protagonist's death, the despair of cyberpsychosis, and the little touches of reasonable future tech, like neural-linked phone calls and the evolution of language. This all is wrapped up in a setting that is confident. We didn't get a breakdown that explained every element of the setting to us. Our protagonist was a native to the setting and used the language naturally. They never broke down the issues with neural communication or why words are repeated or confused at times. They left it to the viewer to make those decisions. I think this might be the biggest single piece of world-building advice that we can possibly glean from this show. Whatever you do, do it with a bang. You have to go out swinging with your setting and trust your audience to pick up on the context clues. As Steph pointed out, the setting oozes self-awareness. The creators at Studio Trigger knew exactly the world they wanted to create and pulled no punches exploring its abject misery. This betrays a singular and clear vision delivered with confidence and not a little bit of faith in their audience. Lastly, we broke down some of the stuff we'd like to have seen, plus a little bit of sciencey nitpicking from Steph. I wanted to ask about immunoblockers, actually, because we brought uh, Steph brought that up, and she's smart. So you know, you're you're uh, you're half chrome. You're pumping yourself full of immunoblockers. How are you not catching the common cold and keeping it forever on a regular basis? Let alone any other disease that could possibly kill you if you are literally blocking your immune system constantly right like like he would have not been able to survive much earlier in this process because of like besides cyber psychosis right like the, the it was it was like a, a 20 mil syringe and they just like all of it two of them just yeah, no, the the body can't handle that. It was just, the volume was excessive. He would have suffocated from lack of oxygen due to having no blood first. Um, anyway, I really like Maine as a character, and I think a Maine prequel could be really fascinating to see his rise to becoming a Shadowrunner, right? And, and his, his relationship with Dorio and, you know, how, how Kiwi gets in, in the game, right? Even how they find Lucy, and, and their whole team and, and 
of course that would give you more Rebecca as well. And just, just like the whole world that David gets dropped into completely unexplained would be really fascinating because they, he just kind of hits the ground running quite literally. I would love that story because Maine was such a cool character. All right. So one thing I'd like, I wish I saw more of, and I hope I'll see, well, I'm, pretty sure i'll see more if they have a season two but what i wanted to see more of in season one even though i understand why they didn't but for a show called edge runners there was only one team of edge runners featured in the entire season i understand why they did it you but the thing is that like come the second half of it like you never see they kind of throw a montage of it of uh david rescuing uh, one of the couple times he rescues Rebecca from Mexican standoff in the entrance to the afterlife. Um, and then, and then rogue just giving them, you know, the, okay, the green light to join in. But like, there was really no comparison between David Martinez's team and other edge runners. And I feel like they could have in the last, the setup highway heist where they were secretly the other ones but i think i understand that they opted to just do whatever gangs because all up to the point they were all expendable faceless people that we didn't care about um and that were just getting duped which made david you know the actual edge runners at the end of it you know made them feel like no we're the actual people that are going to get the job done um but just that there was really no comparison to how other edge runners felt about um, David, you know, or Maine or whoever. And it was just very interpersonal. I'd love to have an anthology series that just show the perspectives of other people in the world, in their lives. I also think it would be really funny for a Romeo and Juliet kind of episode if they do an anthology because that one cityscape moment where faraday is looking out and you see the holograms for irisaka right across from the militech one reminds me a lot of the manga shakespeare series romeo and juliet which is set in a modern day tokyo and it is illustrated by sonia leong anyways i think that would be funny and also terrible but in a good way. But otherwise, I think just, yeah, more slice of life, explore the world more, did great with the first one. Yeah. So, that about covers it. Aside from some minor gripes, immunoblockers, etc., this show kind of nailed it. Most of the things we'd even lightly fault the show for are actually just requests for more content, which is hardly a criticism. I personally hope CD Projekt Red gives us some new stuff going forward in different media. Maybe a graphic novel series, a book, who knows? Let me wrap us up here. I'll summarize it in two key takeaways. One, don't be shy about your setting. Build it with confidence and trust your audience to pick up the pieces through context. Edge Runners did this beautifully with their use of language and casual inclusion of different technological artifacts throughout the series. They didn't say how it worked. They merely let the audience pick it up through context. Number two, 
Despite the setting drawing contemporary interest for its modern style, the kitsch, the punk aesthetic, the setting was steeped in ideas that would resonate with humans throughout time. Freedom, choices, life, friendship, purpose, and meaning. These deeper themes make the show richly accessible to just about anyone who would happen upon it. And that, I think, about covers it for this roundtable conversation. Don't forget, Chum, if you want to have premium conversations like this, go ahead and hit us up on the Discord server. If you're into world building, we already like you. Don't be shy. For our panelists, AJ, Marcus, Rach, and Steph, I'm your host, James, and we'll catch you next time on the Worldcraft Club podcast. I'm mad with power. I'm still not getting a wiggle. Where's my wiggle? Blah, blah, blah.